In less than a year, our podcast has gone from an average of 10,000 downloads a month to 50,000 downloads. What made the difference? You leaving us a five-star review. The more positive reviews, the more the algorithm picks us up, and more people are confronted by the law and gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us press forward the crown rights of King Jesus by leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks. Welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. In this particular episode of Theology Applied, I am privileged to welcome to the show for the first time, Ben Garrett. Ben Garrett is the co-host, along with Brian Sauvey, of a popular new podcast called Haunted Cosmos. So in this episode of Theology Applied, Ben and I discuss the Watchers, their offspring, the Nephilim, and what slash who is currently living under our feet deep within the earth in the deep caverns. Okay, now that being said, real quick, if you haven't checked out my book, Fight by Flight, go ahead and check it out on amazon.com or rightresponseministries.com. The subtitle is Why Leaving Godless Places is Loving Godless Places. The book is forwarded by Doug Wilson, and if you check it out, I promise you'll be in for a treat. Real quick, before we start though, here's a brief word from our sponsors. There are very few things as important as fellowship. Taking the time to spread the gospel is our duty as Christians. But sharing the word over a warm cup of Squirrely Joe's coffee, now that is our passion. Like the caffeine coursing through their veins, Squirrely Joe's is energized by their calling and emboldened to model their relentless faith. Based in Olney, Illinois, their association with the endangered white squirrel isn't just a novelty. It's a reminder that His Majesty can appear in the most unexpected places, in a humble squirrel, through a chance conversation, and even in a simple cup of joe. Share coffee, serve humbly, live faithfully. Squirrely Joe's is owned and operated by Joe Morris, his wife Rachel, and their seven children. They believe in being a truly Christian business where Christ is in the DNA of the business. Joe also believes in living quorum Deo, that means before the face of God, in every aspect of life. Joe is also a pastor of a small Reformed church, and both Joe and Rachel are veterans of the U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Army, respectively. They believe that Christians should be building a thoroughly Christian economy by doing business with other like-minded Christians. The coffee is also fantastic. So, don't delay. Visit squirrelyjoes.com to order your coffee today. Again, that's squirrelyjoes.com to order your coffee today. With the banking industry in another tailspin and the Fed ready to raise interest rates once again, many of you are probably asking, when does this madness stop? If you're interested in learning how to establish a family banking system outside of today's mainstream banking insanity, then schedule a call with our sponsors at Private Family Banking. There's a way for individuals, families, and businesses to put their hard-earned money to work continuously accruing compounding interest and then have those resources available as collateral for cash or for financing investments, businesses, college, and other major life expenditures without having to go to the big banks for loans. Income tax protected? 
safety from stock market losses, guaranteed rates of compounding interest, and the ability to store up an inheritance for your children's children and avoid the death tax on your estate. If this interests you, then email our friends at banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Again, that's banking at privatefamilybanking.com. Or you can give them a call at 830-339-9472. Again, that's 830-339-9472. Schedule your appointment today. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin, with Right Response Ministries. And in this particular episode, I'm very privileged to have joining us for the first time, Ben Garrett. Ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Joel. Happy to be here. Take just one second, Ben, and tell our listeners a little bit about you. Some of them will probably recognize your voice, but not necessarily <laughs> your face, because you guys in Ogden, Utah, you don't really do video, but you do yeah. audio really, really well. So who are you? How would our listeners probably know you best? Uh, I, I, they'd probably know me best from from Haunted Cosmos, this podcast that my uh, my friend and pastor Brian Sauvet do together. But uh, I'm a deacon at Refuge Church, which is our church in Ogden, Utah. I'm also on staff, actually, with New Christendom Press, which is our publishing house. So I kind of split time between those two things and spend a lot of time researching really weird stuff online uh, for <laughs> to talk about with Brian on Haunted Cosmos. I'm a uh, mechanical engineer by trade, felt a call to ministry about three years ago and have since been pursuing that along with this uh, this podcast game. I'm married to a lovely wife. We have two boys and, and hope, Lord willing, many more uh, to come someday. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'm a big fan of Haunted Cosmos. I think you guys have done a great job. Um, I'm, I think I've told you this already offline, but I'm not quite as interested in the Mothman episodes, which yeah. I know a lot of people like them. I mean, I find it intriguing. I find it intriguing. Um, and I think it's possible and I'm totally down for, you know, demons shape-shifting and taking on the form of it, whatever. But uh, man, give me sea serpents or give me death, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the great white shark plummeting 2,000 feet underneath the sea, you know, and the temperature rising from 40-something to 90-something, like that, yeah. I mean, that was so good. And then I really loved the episode that you guys did probably, at this point, I guess about a month ago, because you guys do it once every two weeks. Yep. Uh, but the one where you talked about the Watchers and the Nephilim, and I was hoping that, you know, we could start there in our conversation today and then there's some other things. You've got some theories. I've got some theories, you know, yeah. and that we can just kind of bounce <laughs> off of each other and, uh, and talk about all sorts of things. But, but starting with the Nephilim and the Watchers, can you help our listeners understand a little bit, um, biblically speaking, who are the Watchers? Who are the Nephilim? Yeah, no, that's great. I, this is one of my favorite topics, so I'm, I'm happy to start here. The, the Watchers are a category of angelic beings, and we hear about them in the book of Daniel, specifically Daniel 7. We're told that this, it's this group of angels that look down on the affairs of men and essentially they act as God's deacons on the world and they ensure that the decree is carried out. And so one example that we get, and it's not necessarily fact that these are uh, watchers that are discussed here, but they very well could be, uh, regardless, their, their function is similar. But it says in Daniel, uh, one of the angels comes to visit Daniel and give him prophecy. 
And it says that he was resisted by the prince of Persia for 21 days. And then Michael came and helped him defeat the prince of Persia. And the prince of Persia is an angel. It's a, it's a throne or a power and principality that was resisting this other good angelic force seeking to do God's will. And so we know that there's spiritual battle going on all the time. And, and the watchers play a crucial role in that. And so where they get really popular is in Genesis six, where we have this event, the, the, the sons of God go into the daughters of men because they find them very lovely and they produce this offspring. And it says that the offspring is called the Nephilim it says the Nephilim were in those days or were on the earth in those days and also after. Mm-hmm. And so the, if you take the supernatural view, which is actually the common view held throughout almost all of church history until about the, the 20th or 19th century. Right. That's then, when they started doing the line of Seth. And stuff yeah, like exactly. That because, that's because when the we're Seth sophisticated became, now. We don't yeah. believe, we don't believe those fairy tales. Although I guess, I guess Calvin was a Sethite guy. So it was a little bit. Yeah, older. there were some guys, uh, but there, it really there were became some older mainstream. Because it was something um, I forget his name, it, it, but yeah, there were some old guys because I remember teaching yeah. on it a while back, and and I took the Seth view because I was cool, and yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. now now I'd rather have fun and believe yeah. the Bible. <laughs> we have more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I I do think that it's right though. Uh, also, I mean, I love my Sethite guys, right. but uh, but I think that they're wrong about this. But anyway, if you take the supernatural view of Genesis six one through four, then the most likely candidate for the the sons of God who fell are the watchers, this category of angelic beings called the watchers. And we're informed by the first book of Enoch a little bit there um, because that work is cited in Jude and second Peter. So that kind of helps us see how they were thinking through this issue. But then the offspring that they produce with human women are the Nephilim. We believe that they're giants. The Septuagint just very casually calls them giants. Uh, in its rendering of Genesis 6, 4. And so we believe that he, uh, that, that angels fell. They lusted after women. They had this Nephilim offspring and they were basically like half human, super giant, hyper people, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of why the flood occurred is so that the massive corruption that they helped induce on the earth would be curbed and, uh, and, and retarded a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, and that's another reason why I think the, you know, the view of the Nephilim actually being a hybrid of, you know, demonic human hybrid is important for theological reasons. One, because I think it's a plain reading of the text and we always mm-hmm. want to take scripture seriously. Um, but two, because it also helps, um, it helps to make sense of a global flood um, because people are bad today. Right? right. Like, you know, and yes, we have God's promise. You know, he has set his bow in the sky. And so we have his promise to never flood the earth again. Um, you know, uh, so his covenant, I mean, that certainly matters, the Noahic covenant. Um, but I mean, you look at what's going on in the world today and you think, well, I mean, all right. So God said he wouldn't flood the earth, but, you know, could, could he destroy every living person another way, you know, and yeah. technically keep his covenant? Because people seem really, really bad. And so when, when you look at the world and you look at, you know, and you hold to the doctrine of total depravity and you look at what's going on today and all these kinds of things, um, you think like, why isn't God just wiping everybody out now, you know, or, or if you take the other approach and you're like, people aren't really that bad. And I can't believe this was really, uh, cruel on God's part that he would flood the whole earth. You know, there were, there were women and there were children and and babies. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it really helps to make sense of, of how much evil 
there really was when you think, no, 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 we're not just talking about totally depraved people. We're not just talking about bad people. We're not just talking about uh, violent people and, and warring people um, and raping and pillaging people. We're talking about demonic hybrids. Yeah. We're talking about half demon, half man who are, you know, and going around and teaching people uh, dark arts and sorcery yeah. and all these, different, you know, and, and that's, that's part of why God's wiping things out. Because people, you know, we'll look at Genesis, what is it, 6, 14 or 15? What is it? Uh, it's 6, that, 4. Okay. I'm thinking of the verse, I think it's 15, but the verse that says uh, that God looked, you know, and saw that, the, that oh, every yeah, yeah. intention of, of man was only ever evil continually. Yeah. Right. And, and we'll preach that, right. A good Paul Washer sermon, you know, and yeah. I appreciate me some Paul Washer. I don't know why you're time. clapping. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> I'm about talking, you. <laughs> exactly. And so guys have used that, you know, and said, this is the picture of, uh, of not just them, but, but you. Mm. And I agree. I agree. Um, in terms of the heart, um, not now, not you being you and I, not those who are born again in Christ. Um, uh, we, we're still sinners, but we're not totally depraved. We actually right. have the spirit of God. We have new hearts. We're, and so, but total depravity as it pertains to the unbeliever today in 2023, that is still a theologically true statement. Genesis yeah. 6, 15, every intention, every thought, only evil continually. The difference though, in Genesis 6 before the flood is it wasn't just at the level of the heart. It wasn't just intent. It was um, because of what was going on with the Nephilim. You have a, you have a physical superiority that allows for the intentions of the heart, the evil on the inside to have far greater manifestations outside. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Would you yeah. agree with that? No, that, I, I think that makes total sense. The, so that's part of what's going on. And that's part of the, you know, the justification, not that God needs any, if it was just people, God would still be justified in destroying the wicked because he, right. he does that in hell. But, but it does help, you know, more to understand like why, why wasn't there an attempt to just reform the world? Why, why destroy the world? by water well because part of what you have running around is not just bad people but but bad half demon half man yeah people and so that's yeah that's crazy so anyway so watchers nephilim go, go on you were you were describing them. Oh. was there more that you were going to say no I, no i mean that's basically it the trouble that you run into with taking this view uh and it comes from the sethite view as well no view is immune to this problem is that it seems because of clear statements in scripture, especially in Numbers and Deuteronomy, that there exist in the land of Canaan after the flood, it says descendants of the Nephilim. Um, presumably that's direct descendants of the Nephilim. So to paint the picture really clearly, you have antediluvian world, watchers come down because they're lusting, they're lusting after women, they have sex with them, they procreate, and the Nephilim appear on the earth, you then have the flood that we would all agree wipes that out. Uh, so there's total destruction. The Nephilim are done away with. And then after the flood, you somehow, some generations later, have this group of people that the Bible calls descendants of the Nephilim. And so that's really where the, where the fun starts. Um, you know, you, you can talk about how the, the spirits of the Nephilim, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim are what the second temple Jews would just assume were demons. So the people that Christ were, or the things that Christ was casting out of these people in the land of Capernaum and, and, and Galilee were, uh, were disembodied Nephilim spirits, demons. But I think that the really interesting question is how did they 
come back, so to speak, or did they come back? Is it some kind of like lesser version of the Nephilim, but we can still call them that? And so that was, you know, one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is right. how, what kind of theories are there that allow for the flood to occur, totally obliterate everything that's not on the ark, which of course we, we would all agree with. And yet somehow we have descendants of the Nephilim in the land that Israel has to go in and drive out after the flood. That's mm. where the real fun starts. So yeah. one of the theories. Yeah, let's little, talk about that. Yeah, you go ahead and give a theory. I'll give a theory. Go. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's ping pong theory. So yeah. the one that I currently hold to, uh, but it is one that I hold pretty loosely, is that the syntax of Genesis 6-4 allows for there to be multiple events of this type. Before and after the flood, Genesis 6-4 gives freedom for it to be interpreted as angels falling, creating Nephilim with human women, both before and after the flood, multiple times. So you could have literally just the same event happening throughout history before and after the flood. And that kind of lessens the punch of the flood uh, in that in that regard. And it kind of says like, well, well, why why was the why the flood then? Why the flood? If it had anything to do with that, then why then if it was just going to happen again after? But let's hear your theory too. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and when Ben says for the listener, when he says multiple events, the event you're talking about is angels falling from heaven. Yes. Yes. Right. So he's saying specifically that some, falling from heaven to interbreed with human women. Right. Yes. So you're saying that it's not just that a third of the angels, you know, like a, a third of the stars swept out of heaven in a singular moment that, that may be as well, but there were also other angels uh, that, that angels uh, rebelled against God. So we're talking about fallen in the sense of, of sinning against God, rebelling against God, but then also quite literally falling from heaven in, in the sense of moving physically, geographically to earth for the express purpose of creating a um, posterity. For, yeah, and, yeah. And, so, and you're saying uh, that one theory, the syntax in Genesis 6-4 allows for that to happen uh, that event to happen more than once that it happened yes. pre-flood and then happened again after the flood. And the reason why we're insisting, or at least saying that it's plausible um, that it would ha uh, happen again after the flood is because we have one or two texts in the book of Numbers. And I think you said there's another text in Deuteronomy that talk about the Nephilim after the flood, right? Yeah. We have the 10 wicked spies, Israelite spies, but they're wicked because they're filled with unbelief and, and yeah, not trust the promises of God. Right. And, and cowards will, will be in the lake of fire. So wicked is an appropriate term for the coward. Mm -hmm. But these 10 wicked, wicked spies, um, you know, they, they go with Joshua and Caleb 12 and all, uh, but 10 return and bring a bad report of, of the land and say that we were like grasshoppers in our eyes uh, and that the Nephilim were there with them. And, um, and so then some guys like the Sethite guys, you know, they would, um, they would say, you know, well, um, you know, you know, we were like, cause this doesn't just say Nephilim, you know, men of renown, but then it also says physically we we're like grasshoppers. We were small, yeah. you know, so then that, that gets real tough to say that the Nephilim weren't actual giants. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, some guys would say, well, that this just, uh, this just is meant to further indict those 10 wicked spies and their unbelief, um, because they're actually lying, lying, mm -hmm. saying that there's, there's giants because they're so cowardly that they don't want to face them or, or maybe even psychologically, they believed that they were like grasshoppers and that these guys were five times their size, uh, because they just, they, they couldn't even think straight because they were so given into fear. Um, or 
or the alternative is uh, that they're actual giants. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that the, the, the Nephilim happened again. So my point is the reason why Ben, for the listener, is saying there could have been um, multiple events, events referring to angels falling from heaven to earth for the express purpose of creating Nephilim, half angel, half, half man, um, by breeding with the daughters of men, is because, you know, uh, the Nephilim aren't just... Uh, in existence before the flood, but we see them again after yeah. the flood, like numbers. So, uh, and one, my, go ahead. Well, yeah, just go real ahead. quick, one important thing that I think will be important in contrasting your theory is uh, is that these are different angels. It's not the same angels doing it over and over again. Right. It's angels do it. They're they're judged. More angels do it, and so it, that's just important. It's different angels each time. Yep. That's helpful. Um, so, so my theory take a little bit of framework, but so Adam and Eve were created uh, without a sin nature. They were created in a state of integrity, um, and so they were able to fall, um, but they were not yet fallen. Um, so a state of integrity, um, but not immutable integrity. Able to fall, and so you and I, I think, agree on this in terms of our our you know prelapsarian oh, yeah. view of uh you know that that adam so i i like to use the words eternal and forever life and bifurcating that i'll explain the ways that, that, that i'm using the two terms of forever and eternal uh, but adam had forever life without eating of the tree of of life uh, he did not need to eat of the tree of life to uh to gain forever life he he actually only needed to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to maintain forever life god said the day that you eat of it the bad tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the day that you eat of it you shall surely die so in order for adam to not die aka live forever um he didn't need to eat from the good tree tree of life he needed to just not eat from the bad tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil I believe that the purpose of the tree of life uh, was that that Adam and Eve were in a probationary period in a state of integrity in the garden um, and that there was a definite end to this. We don't know exactly what that end was, but eventually um, Adam would have passed the test. If he had guarded uh, the garden, if he had protected his wife, uh, provided for her, cared for her, obeyed the word of the Lord, resisted temptation, watched over his wife, killed the serpent or sent it, you know, fought it and got it out of the garden, the, the whole nine yards. If he had done that well, uh, then God would have held out to Adam uh, the the fruit of the tree of life, and and upon eating of the the, the fruit of the tree of life, Adam, w who already had forever life by just not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he then by eating of the tree of of life, he would attain not just forever life but eternal life. Eternal, yeah. the way I'm using it, is uh, not just now in a state of integrity with death having not entered the world, but now a state of immutable integrity uh, where he is not fallen and also now not able to fall. Yeah. And so that that's what I'm arguing there. Okay, so now apply that to angels and watchers. If there are multiple fallings, um, one of the things that's difficult, you know, we we watch previous, you know, I mean, we read history books, we read the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. the, the best history book th there is. Um, and we see prior generations of mankind doing really stupid things. I mean, just just really stupid things. The and, dumbest things. And, and paying <laughs> the price. I mean, a, a hefty price, you know, and just, and, and, and yet generation comes and generation goes and and yet each one we never really learn you know that, that you know there, there'll be a fresh batch of people and they'll think but has socialism really ever been tried you know yeah and and uh and it's like how how well one of the ways that we can explain that is because human beings each generation it may be a new group of people they may have the history books they may be able to look and see these lessons that, that people learn the hard way by doing terrible things and the consequences that that you know came about 
And yet this fresh batch of people, this new generation have, they're totally depraved. They have a sin nature because Adam and all his posterity are now born under the curse of sin. Um, and so that explains why, you know, we could look at Adam and Eve's fall and we could look at this person's fall and that person's fall and that person's fall and still fall ourselves and still mm -hmm. make bad choices. Angels though, however, if it's multiple fallings, multiple events of angels falling, the, the difficulty for me is that um, the angels that did not fall the first time. So if, if you have the first batch of watchers, pre-flood, antediluvian uh, anti world, they fall and come into the daughters of men, find them lovely and produce offspring. But then our, this is wiped out in the flood. And, and now we're seeing another batch of angels. Well, those angels, this next batch of angels is not like... Um, like a, a, another generation of angels. They're, they're angels that have watched the whole thing go down yeah. and they don't have uh, a sin nature. They don't, they're not totally depraved like future generations of man. Um, they actually, they're not just reading about it in a history book. They watched these angels fall. They watched God's judgment of them. Uh, they, they watched the consequences and, and they watched it from a state of integrity yeah. without a sin nature. Um, which to me seems very compelling that, that they would not say, okay. And, but, but maybe this time socialism will work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, so that's, that would be my position. So then how do we have Nephilim after the flood? One, like I already said, well, maybe the 10 spies are just being super cowardly and saying they're giants when really they were like six foot four instead yeah. of six foot one, <laughs> you know, um, that, but I don't think that I think it actual Nephilim, um, happened again in numbers. These are actual giants, actual hybrid offspring of, of fallen angels. Again, another, uh, but not another batch. I'm sorry, not another batch, but the watchers, this would be my view. And I got this by thinking a little bit about you and Brian and, and listening to your very first episode of the sea serpent. And, and you guys talked about like how, like there'd be more demonic activity, for instance, in nations, uh, that aren't Christianized in yeah. pagan nations, right? And then if a nation becomes Christianized, like sure, there's the C.S. Lewis aspect of like, okay, well, technology and innovation and development. And so now demons are going to, you know, they're going to play a different strategy, right? Yep. And that totally makes sense to me. And so, you know, flying under the banner of depression and some psychological disorder and schizophrenia, you know, or this or that, um, instead of just, you know, full, full blown, you know, witch doctor, uh, demonic kind of stuff, um, because it's a different people and they're wanting to fly into the radar and and not be found out that makes sense to me also i think the west has had a little bit just i think they're coming back but a little bit less demonic activity because the west for the last you know, 1500 years if you constantine but certainly a thousand years with king alfred yeah. has been christianized yep. and so the demons yep. got their butts kicked and so they you know they went to some place in africa and south america for a while and 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 so um but my point is with the watchers um the Nephilim were wiped out because these are the offspring of the fallen angels, watchers, and daughters of men. So they're half human. They have, they have lungs. They're giants. They're superhuman, but still they have lungs. They have a beating heart. They, they need oxygen. They're, they're, they're physical beings. And so the flood was enough and it needed to be catastrophic. It needed to be global in order to not just wipe out human beings, wicked people, but wicked super people. Yeah. And it did. I think it was successful in wiping out the Nephilim, but the watchers themselves that are not half blood uh, fallen angels, but full blood uh, uh, fallen angels. They're, they're, you know, they're the, the real deal though, you know, not a hybrid, but the full, full blown angelic. I'm wondering, could, could they have survived the flood? Could they have taken on 
you know, the form of like a sea serpent, for instance, and, right. and survive the flood. Now, some of them going to Jude and, and the book of Enoch talks about that, but um, we know that some of them were locked away in gloomy dungeons. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm thinking that God sent, you know, some, some angels, the flood to wipe out the Nephilim and, and man, and then some angels um, to, to go and bind up and lock away in gloomy dungeons. Some of these watchers, uh, but maybe some of the watchers were missed by by the angels that they mm-hmm. somehow escaped, took on the form of a sea serpent, whatever, escaped in the flood. God, of course, being sovereign over all, allowed them to escape. And then these are the ones who then again, after the flood, generations later, came into the daughters of man a second time, created a new batch of Nephilim, blah, blah, blah. So that's that's kind of my theory and what, what I'm thinking there. And then you and I, I think we also both agree that in terms of these gloomy dungeons, uh, you and I both have some, some theory on what's under the earth yeah uh, yeah these gloomy dungeons maybe being literal physical places yeah I, un- I, under I, our feet i do think they are i'll say one thing too just for the listeners to kind of help them think through the these two uh views so when we talk about man falling okay and then all of man now is totally depraved uh the the reason that that is is because adam was our federal covenant head he represented man before God. And so if he fell, man falls. But the opposite's also true. If Adam prevails, we also are born righteous in a state of immutable integrity before right. God. Immutable positive holiness. I, you know, you'd agree that's just the basic reformed yep. view. It's pointless because it didn't happen. But if it did happen, that would be the case. The angels aren't like that, though. The angels don't procreate like human beings in their normal state. Mm. So... When we hear in the confession that there are elect and non-elect angels, that election is not, well, I, I shouldn't put it that way. God's de- God decrees that election and he brings it about as he providentially determines. But what we can say is that the fall of one angelic group doesn't determine the fall of another angelic group. Right. But the same is also true. The positive obedience of one angelic group doesn't determine the positive obedience of another because they're different. So mm-hmm. I could see the argument, and, and I would probably make this argument if I was really trying to like debate it, but I could see the argument that because of how different humans are from the angelic category, you could, you could conceivably have a group of angels that watch this event happen and as they watch it, they are still in that state of integrity. But since there's no federal headship in the angelic world, they're still able to fall. Uh, so, you know, there's no, as far as we know, there's no singular moment where angels right. suddenly just in mass stop becoming able to sin before the final day of judgment. And I right. think that I think that Burkhoff's view is pretty compelling that each angel eventually reaches a stage where they're no longer able to disobey. But we have no way of speculating as to when that Whereas stage is. Adam would have done it for all of us. Is exactly. Your point, because he's a federal head of all his posterity. Yes. Because of reproduction, because of fatherhood, yes. that, because he's a patriarch, he, father rule. But angels don't have. A they don't father. have fathers, right? They, they, they have, have they have God, the Father, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but but they don't have, yeah, exactly. So it's it's one batch of angels. Um, it's not one man, and then from him he begot so and so, who begot so and so, who begot so and so. Um, that, that so you're you're totally right. So that's so I like I like that the idea of, of Burkhoff's view of that each angel individually 
um, without federal, uh, federalism, each angel individually having, just like Adam would have had, like some kind of probationary period, whatever that looked like. And probably, you know, always attached to my, my guess would be a task, an assignment. Mm, yeah. So almost like, it's kind of funny, but a, a wonderful life, you know, when an angel gets its wings, you know, yeah. when an angel goes in. And so probably for the watchers, and I like, you know, all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, um, but like, you know, some the seraphim, you, you were mentioning that to me mm-hmm. offline, and that was really helpful for me. I actually hadn't thought about that, but you said like that they're, you know, they're standing before the presence of God. They're facing God. Yeah. Right? So there are some angels that in a, quite literally, in a literal sense, are like they have a, a God-facing ministry assignment. But there are other angels that are very interested in the, the affairs of men, and not in a sense that like they find men more interesting than God, uh, but but by design, by God's order, his decree. Yeah. He is, uh, like uh, Hebrews, it says, are angels not ministering spirits yeah. uh, that, that are called, I forget the exact verbiage, but called to help um, the sons of men who are, are to inherit salvation, the, yeah. the elect people. So there's a, there is a category of angels per Hebrews um, that, that exists, was created by God to, um, to give him praise and worship, uh, but to also honor him by fulfilling um, man-facing assignments, um, yeah. man-oriented assignments, particularly men who are uh, elect, uh, called to salvation. And so perhaps these angels for the watchers, for the seraphim, God-facing angels, perhaps it's uh, it's different, you know, but for the watchers, it could totally make sense that each one individually, apart from federal headship, each one individually, task-based, assignment-based, as they go and help that that elect person called to salvation, like Hebrews talks about, and and succeed, uh, that they the angel gets its wings, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. Wings being the angel already in a state of integrity, no no sin, having never sinned, but now moving from a state of forever, you know, oh, to eternal, it. from a state of integrity to a state of immutable integrity. Now not fallen, but also not fallen and unable to ever fall. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah, that's, and I mean, that's totally you, possible. If you think about the the typology of church officers, uh, you know, you have the bishop, elder, pastor, if you take two, three office view, whatever, you have the this guy or a group of guys who represent to the church Christ. They 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 are the ones that God said, You are the shepherds of my flock, you have the keys of the kingdom, um, and you will represent me directly to the people. Well, then you also have this office of deacon that is the minister, the assistant to the elders, much like how we would think of just in really basic terms, the angels are the assistants of God. They're carrying out God's providential decree on the earth. And he, because he just seems to want it be done, uh, to be done that way. And so if you think about that, well, then you look at the qualification for a deacon and, and, and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of a cool connection that he's supposed to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And he's supposed to be tested first and proved right. And then he can take the office. And so if you think about how, you know, Burkhoff's view of the angels is that each one would have this probationary period. And I really like your idea that it's oriented towards a specific task. Well, that is like the heavenly or the, the, the unseen diaconate uh, in the world where each one is given this task and he's tested or she, whatever you call an angel <laughs> pronouns, they, them, but <laughs> each one is tested <laughs> And then upon successful, I don't think it's them, but go yeah, ahead. yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> upon successful completion of the test, they would uh, be out of their probationary period and in this immutable state of integrity. That's a really yeah. interesting. Idea. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. Uh, with my theory, um, you're, you're absolutely right. So no federal headship. 
um, not necessarily an immutable state of integrity. But what I'm arguing is that even apart from an immutable state of integrity, just by a state of integrity alone, mm-hmm. yeah. angels, one group of angels watching another group of angels rebel against God and then, and then get their butts kicks, kicked by God and locked away in gloomy dungeons, um, you know, that, that these guys over here, even though they're still able to fall, that they would still look at that from, from without a sin nature, from a state of integrity and say, mm, nah. <laughs> no, thanks. you know, whereas, whereas us as human beings, um, we look at past other generations of human beings, um, uh, who have done terrible things. And, and the reason why it's different than angels is because we have a sin nature. So we're, we can say that was a really bad idea. I don't know why he did that. And then yet we still make mistakes ourselves, sometimes yeah. the very same mistakes. Um, but it makes more sense from a human standpoint because um, because of the sin nature, even for the Christian who, yeah. who who is now redeemed and has a new heart and has the spirit of God dwelling within them. Even for the Christian, there's something to be said, uh, you know, with Romans 7, what I want to do, this I cannot do, but the yep. evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am who can save me from this body of death, right? That the soul has been saved, but there's still this sense of the body and glorification that's, um, that is that is being awaited. And that, of course, that, you know, I just showed my hand. I, I think that Paul, that's a post-conversion. I think Paul's writing as a Christian, Romans 7. Yeah. Some would disagree with that position. I understand. But anyways, no, I, all I, that I, being said, even for, if if I'm right about that, that this is Paul, Romans 7, talking about how he keeps doing the, the evil, the sin that he doesn't want to do. And it's the apostle Paul as a Christian saying that, then certainly um, a, a non-Christian person is going to yep. give in. But the angel would be different to me because even though he's not immutable he's never sinned before and so even if there's a a curiosity it's like all right i'm watching how'd it go for you not well okay (laughs) let's (laughs) uh take note of that (laughs) but i don't don't know so anyway so it could be multiple fallings or it could be the, the the nephilim themselves the hybrid offspring of these watchers fallen angels are wiped out in the flood but some of the watchers themselves locked in gloomy dungeons under the earth in caverns that are there right now today. Yes, that are literally caverns. Yep. Or, yes. uh, uh, and I should say not or, and some of them locked away, but some of them taking on, morphing into sea serpents, surviving the, the torrents yeah. of water and the flood. And then, and then the same, so the same group, a lesser number of them this time, but the same group doing it again. Um, and that's the Nephilim that we find in the book of Numbers. So that's, so it's either a, a second, a different batch of watchers, angels falling in a second event, a second falling after the flood, or it's some of the, the Nephilim are wiped out, but some of those watchers, some of that first batch survive the flood, aren't locked up in gloomy dungeons, and they do it again. One of those things. And that's so how we I, get Nephilim. I wasn't going to say this because it, it uh, spoils a little bit of a future episode of Haunted Cosmos, but say it. I, yeah, I, I have to say it because <laughs> say it. I'm really liking what you're saying that some of the watchers are still around, still active. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It's easy if you take my stance to get into this position where there is no watcher activity whatsoever. It's just disembodied Nephilim spirit activity. The reason that I don't like that is because if you look at the message that alien abductees are receiving from these aliens. If you believe their stories at all, okay? If you just suspend disbelief, 
and listen to what they say. What they'll tell you oftentimes is that the aliens are abducting them. And part of the fundamental reason why is because they, they are trying to create a hybrid race mm-hmm. of them and human beings. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, well, oh, the Nephilim spirits, you know, they learned this from their dads and they're still trying to just do it. And so they, they fly around in, in flying saucers trying to deceive man. Or, or if you're right, you can just say like, no, it's just literally the same play by the same people. It's not even. Right. It's, it's not like, chips off the old block. It's yeah, the old block. <laughs> it's the old block. It's, it's, the, it's the simplest thing in the world. Like literally, are we just dumb? They're doing mm-hmm. the exact same thing. So I do like yeah. that. We get into that in episode 10 of season one. So, so stay cool. tuned for that. But it's cool. a good little Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. So yeah, so I think, I think that's totally possible. So now let, let's talk a little bit about... Um, caverns under the earth yes uh angels fallen angels watchers being locked away in in actual literal physical uh gloomy dungeons on this planet under under this ground and i'd like to as we explore that as we explore these caverns <laughs> yeah. i'd like to also uh explore the idea of not just uh angels being locked away but uh what else might be down there yes under the ground yes um, so why, why don't you start what, what do you think Sure. So other other things besides Bigfoot that are uh, clear. <laughs> if you got uh, I, something I actually, on Bigfoot, feel free. Feel yeah, free. I do. I do genuinely All think right. that's true, but I don't. Okay. I, have, I don't have a defense for it. It just smells good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're told that the angels are are locked in chains under the earth, and I think that that's literal. And the reason that I think that is because you have the story in in it's in Luke, uh, and Christ is telling a parable about. The, the rich man and Lazarus. Right. And Lazarus dies. He's taken to Abraham's bosom. And from Abraham's bosom, he can see this rich man that used to oppress him in life. And the rich man can see Lazarus. And they're, and they're not physical anymore. They're in a spiritual state. And yet they're able to see one another. They're localized spirits. And they're able to shout at one another. And right. Abraham is able to shout back at this rich man as well. And even in a spiritual state, also recognize one yeah, another. Yeah, yeah. Also recognize one another. I know who and that so is. The, yeah, exactly. So now we have a category that's really, really weird of spiritual people, people that are disembodied um, souls at this point, living in the earth, presumably, because Sheol is spoken about only in terms of it being in the belly of the earth, literally. Right. right. And yet there's an open space. They can see one another, talk to one another, and recognize one another. So I think that within this, this massive category of Sheol, you have a bunch of different neighborhoods. So you have the Sheol of the damned, which is where the normal human guy who dies a, a reprobate will go to await final judgment, and it's torment there. It's not good. It's not a place you want to be. You also have Tartarus, which is this separate kind of neighborhood that I, I believe that's where the fallen angels are bound. Uh, you know, w- whichever ones are bound, whether it's all of them or some, that's where they are. And then you have this really paradisical neighborhood, which is Abraham's bosom, but it's no longer there because now Abraham's bosom was carried up t- into the presence of the Lord right. by Christ upon his ascension and or resurrection and ascension. And so, uh, you know, you could say that Sheol got a little bit bigger for the reprobates. Um, right. but I, I think that those are literal places. I, I, I think that. There is a massive space in the earth or multiple spaces in the earth where disembodied souls go. Um, I, that's a very medieval idea, but it also seems to be 
the plain reading of the text. The, the, I don't think we're, I don't think God is tricking us here. And I also don't think he's just dumbing things down to some sort of uh, metaphor that we can understand. I think that he's actually just telling us this, the actual state of things. So yeah. I think that I, there's not only fallen angels chained in the earth. I think that there's also reprobate souls who are damned in the earth awaiting final judgment. And I think that the souls of the saints also used to be uh, living in the earth and, and bound to the earth. And you can look a, at, you know, in a first Samuel 28. paradise place, but yeah. 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 Really good place. Abraham's, Abraham's bosom. bosom. Yeah. Yeah. But first Samuel 28, you have the witch of Endor scene and I believe it's first Samuel 28 called up. And, but yeah, you have Samuel called up. You know, you'd mm -hmm. think that a saint would come down. Um, right. and some commentators will try to say, well, clearly that means that this is a demon who's trying to deceive Saul. Mm -mm. But that's just not what the Bible says. It says that no. it's Samuel multiple times. It refers to him as Samuel, both in the proper noun sense and then in the pronoun sense as well. And so well, you have to. Why would a demon rebuke Saul? Like a demon yeah, would encourage Saul for that action. Like, hey, you're doing this thing that God hates and I really like it. Keep yeah. doing more of it. You know, but like, it, but it sounds like Samuel. Um, yeah, material. Saul, Saul recognizes, yep, that's Samuel. What, what does he look like? So there's still like a physical, I mean, it, it is spiritual, but with. Um, uh, an appearance that can be recognized, take, yeah. you know, manifesting some kind of appearance that can be seen and recognized. But then it's not just the way that, that the spirit looks, but but when the spirit speaks, um, there's a rebuke of of Saul. Um, yeah, that is something that a righteous Samuel would have said. So yeah, exactly. So I I think that at the very minimum, before Christ came and did his uh, mediating work in time. You had three groups of beings in the earth, the reprobate, the saint, and also the fallen angel. Um, but however, I, I do genuinely think that, that like Bigfoot is a, is a disembodied <laughs> Nephilim spirit. And I think that those can certainly be in Sheol as well. So <laughs> I'm with you on all of it, except for Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> but the good news is that I could probably uh, be won over. So you guys. Uh, wait for a get, Bigfoot episode. Yeah, yeah, get to that episode and, and you know, I'll, I'll give it a hearing. I'm not won over by Mothman, um, but. I don't know. Bigfoot. Um, ah, just give it time. You got to let it we'll simmer see. in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, all right. So here's, here's some of my theories of under the earth. Uh, so yeah. everything you said, 100%, um, ex except for the Bigfoot part. Yeah. But 100%. Well, you and me both. I mean, I don't really. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> but we're not sure. But the other ones, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I feel fairly confident that that's, that that's the case. A little bit of background th theology for the listener. Um, with, uh, with um jesus you know uh just so basically what i'm trying to get at is a descent to hell um mm -hmm. so so we you know we do the apostles creed and, and we say descent to hades um you know so he descended to hades on the third day he rose again um and so what we're trying to say that he he descended to the realm of the dead jesus didn't go to hell um so uh, jesus did not the wrath of god was poured out on christ on the cross yep. so so jesus suffered the shame, um, the humiliation, the physical torture, uh, physical death, but he also on the cross was underneath the white hot wrath of God for sin. And I think the wrath of God was beginning to be poured out on, on Christ, even in the garden of Gethsemane, as he's uh, getting closer to, uh, the crucifixion that he's sweating drops of blood. And so, um, so my view, and I think it's the, the historic reformed view is that Jesus did not need in order to atone for our sin, the wages of sin is death. Um, 
and and particularly death under God's just judgment, not just physical death, but a spiritual death. In order for Jesus to take our penalty, uh, Jesus didn't have to go to hell. So that that sounds good. It sounds like that'll preach. Jesus went to hell, so you don't have to. Um, No, Jesus uh, drank the full cup of God's wrath towards sin so that you don't have to. And I think Mm -hmm. he did that on the cross. So, So when he died and gave up his spirit, uh, he did not go to hell, um, the, the bad of these three chambers, the bad place in Sheol, uh, the belly of the earth, the realm of the dead. Um, but he actually went to the good place in Sheol and proclaimed across that chasm. So he's over there with Abraham and with Lazarus, says, what's up, guys? I'm here. And they're like, no way. It's <laughs> Jesus, you know, and then, and then he proclaims and preaches a sermon. First um, Peter chapter three talks about this. Yep. Uh, nope. Is it chapter three? Chapter it, four, I think. Is it chapter four, three? The mystery talks that about, the angels long to look into. Yes, exactly. And the one That's on baptism. Four. It's yeah. on ba- Yeah, four. I always, I always say First Peter uh, chapter three because I'm usually uh, going to say something about um, women baptism now saves gen- you. Uh, women having a gentle and quiet spirit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a that's a always a, a fan favorite. Um, yeah. So, uh, but anyways. Uh, so all that being said, so Jesus, he he's, you know, in the belly of the earth, he's with Abraham, he's on the good side, Abraham's bosom, he's shouting across this chasm, preaching um, a sermon to the, you know, like the, the rich man, you know, who tormented Lazarus during his lifetime and all everybody else, all the reprobates, all, all those. And, um, and he's not giving them a second opportunity at salvation. Um, he's, he is proclaiming his triumph over them and he's also preaching who else can hear this sermon would be that that third room down there of those those watchers fallen angels locked in gloomy dungeons um and he's he's mocking them and 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 he he is proclaiming his triumph his victory over sin um over satan over over death um and then he leads a host everyone in abraham's bosom um out um, and up now into the presence of God because he has now made a way. Um, and, and so, yeah. And so, th- but everyone else is now staying there and they're going to stay there until the final day where they're cast into the lake of fire. Yep. Sheol's um, cast into the, into the lake of fire. Yep. Right. So we would say right now, those who have, um, who are saints, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, anyone who dies in the Lord or has died in the Lord, um, is in the presence of the Lord, mm-hmm. um, now in heaven. Um, and Abraham's bosom is no more, um, but there are still um, under the earth fallen angels and fallen men um, yep. who died apart from saving grace in Christ. Um, and so, that being said, one other thing I think might be under there is uh, I think we should talk just a little bit. You said you have some, you know, a little bit of thoughts on this. I've got some thoughts, but um, primary water. Oh what, yes. What, what do you know about primary water? Ben? Okay, so so here's all I know. <laughs> I, I know that it's, I know that it's something that I'm tempted to just say like, yeah, I'm 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 in. It it smells good. I'm bought in. But my understanding of it is that the, of course, the elites are lying to us. That water is not some finite resource on the earth, um, but rather water is all the time being created by the pressures and, and all the different elements in the earth. And of course, by God's sovereign hand over all those things. And so we get new springs popping up all the time, right? which is, which is true. That's just true. The difference is that the primary water people, and correct me if I'm wrong, are saying that that's, that's actually new water that's being made. 
it's not just the same water that's being recycled and put up in a new location right. because of like ventilation shafts from the center of the earth or something. Right. And so what you have is like a government psyop that's trying to tell you like everyone needs to be afraid all the time. Well, this the is like precious the precious resource in the world. Yeah. In and 20 it's years now. will be water and yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so you have like a Mad Max situation where everyone's right. just killing each other over water when the reality is no, that's not a fear that, that we should have. That's not a, um, that's not a feature of the curse. And, right. and, and instead we actually have plenty of water. That's right. We just have lost the wherewithal of our surroundings to know where it is and how to find it. So is that, yes. is that kind of? Absolutely. You nailed okay. it. And you're going to love this because I'm going to get to Atlantis, but, uh, so with, but so with that 100% agree, um, in terms of just the character and nature of God, here's what Christians have to believe. This is why some of these things, they, they, they met all these things matter. Um, but this is just one, you know, theology applied. All right. So let me apply it to the character and nature of God. God is not capricious. God is not cruel. Um, God did not command us in our very origin as mankind to do the very thing that he knew secretly would bring about our own demise. Right. God doesn't say be fruitful, multiply. And then behind closed doors, he's, <laughs> Just this wait. is how the, the whole, you know, human race will end by obeying my command. Cause I'm God. And I give really bad commands that hurt people. Like, I mean, think about that first. If you're a Christian, you you have got you have got to completely mortify the overpopulation myth. Yeah. You, you like you are not allowed to be a Christian and believe um, in the goodness of God, His character, and His law word. That that what God commands is not only that which is morally right, but that also which is good. Mm -hmm. um, you you cannot be a Christian and and have a biblical view of the character of God and think that um, that we shouldn't have a bunch of kids. Hundred percent agree. So, so we'll start with that. So that's step one. Um, so now thinking of that, um, we cannot believe that the context, the habitat environment that God created for us to multiply in, um, that it would be, that it would be a zero sum game, mm -hmm. that, that it would be, uh, something that, yeah, well, you, sure you can multiply, but you know, if, if you're the more obedient to God, you are, AKA the more children you have, the more multiplying, the more obedient uh, to God, you have the less you'll actually be rewarded. You, mm -hmm. You'll have to you have to split that pie more ways, and each person gets a smaller slice. Um, that's just simply not the that's not the character of God. So I believe that that resources are finite, um, but but that they're not um, that they're not they're finite, but they're plentiful. Yes, um, and 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 there's far more than we've yet to discover. So when you think of you know. 60 million babies over the last 49 years, you know, um, murdered in their mother's wombs. And you think, well, 60 million uh, less mouths to feed. Well, we've already talked about theology, our view of God, that he's not capricious, he's not cruel. But working down from that and what the Bible says about anthropology, our view of man, um, do you see man as, as a leech, as a parasite? Um, right, yeah. or, or do we see man as a, a lowercase c creator, uh, not able to create ex nihilo like God out of nothing, mm -hmm. uh, but a creator nonetheless in the image of God, able needing resources and materials to create with, but able to, uh, to reproduce and create and multiply the resources that God has given us in extraordinary ways. So Disney, if you think of what, what's the pagans anthropology, it's exactly the opposite of the Christians. The 
pagan is going to say that um, on the inside, follow your heart. Because on the inside, your intentions, your inward intent and motives and true person deep down is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the outside, people are like parasites. Every person that's born is just another mouth to feed. And so it'd be better to have less of them. That is the liberals, the progressives view of man. On the outside, bad. He's a liability. On the inside, good. Um, A sweet little heart. The Christian's view is exactly the opposite. That apart from from saving grace uh, in Christ Jesus, upon initial physical birth, every human being that enters the world, on the inside, totally depraved. On the outside, bearing the image of God and able to create suspension bridges, eventually cure cancer and, you know, the whole nine. So we believe exactly the opposite. We believe on the inside, probably shouldn't follow your heart. You're not that sweet. You're not that cute. On the outside, good golly, um, like the sky is the limit. You know, atomic bombs are are in the cards and and so is you know the cure for all kinds of diseases and so so we literally believe the exact same uh, exact opposite thing that, that the pagan believes about mankind yeah. now all that being said i believe that there's so many things that we've yet to discover and one of those i think is a a plethora of of water under the earth um new water that's being created but then also water that's already there and i think part of this explains so not only the flood with a flood you have the canopy of water being being broken and pouring out on the world um but you also have the the great springs of the deep opening Mm -hmm. up um, and I think in their opening up, as the world was beginning to flood, I think that that's part of where the good angels, God commissioned them to come and take the watchers, the fallen angels, and take them as these great springs and caverns are being opened in the world. And, and as the flood is starting to commence, uh, the, the good angels are, are going down into those springs and locking up those those watchers, those fallen angels under the earth, like what we talked about earlier. But so we know water under the earth is springing forth during the flood. But then I'm also thinking of Peter uh, that says that uh, that the earth was formed um, from water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, that the spirit hovered, you know, and then Genesis, the spirit was hovering above the water. It was without uh, f- void and without form. Yeah. Um, but but the, the water was, uh, the, the earth was formed out of water and so my my thought is one i think there's plenty of resources we're going to discover more and more things and i i think that the, the world could host a trillion people i think we'd yeah. have have a trillion people as a population and uh and be just fine because um we're going to discover more and more more things and we're going to have more and more resources and and all that um but all that being said in terms of my view of, of the final return of christ um i was thinking okay so on one hand peter says that the earth is destroyed by water and, but then it'll be destroyed by fire. And that, and that's mm-hmm. where a lot of we, you and I have been, you know, the, the Georgetown, Texas group and, uh, and the Moscow group and the Ogden group, you know, we would differ from a lot of our reformed brothers in the sense that um, we don't believe that the world is going to be um, destroyed in the sense of being annihilated. Yeah, no annihilation disintegrate exactly so yeah. so like i was in san diego for a while so we were you know just south of of westminster escondido right so you got van druden you've got michael horton yeah. you've got the whole radical two kingdom uh stuff and and van druden i mean he you know they, they believe like the world is going to disintegrate it's going to be annihilated it's going to you know they, they believe the only thing literal physical thing that uh that will transcend from this world from this life this age 
to uh, the heavenly Jerusalem is the physical body. And Van Druden, mm. you know, you can tell he he almost is begrudgingly allowing for that, but he knows that if he doesn't hold to a bodily resurrection, he's a heretic. So I fine. Ah, the physical that, body that can continue, but everything, yeah, but everything <laughs> else is disintegrated. And if yeah. I could find a way to say biblically that your body would never come back, I would. And so that's kind of you know that's that's the view. Um, whereas I would say, okay, well, God destroyed the world once already. But we're not on a different rock. Exactly. It's the, yeah. it's the same rock. And yes. so the Bible is perfectly um, truthful when it says God destroyed the world with what? Yes. yes. Um, it was a and, decreation and recreation event. Exactly. So fire. So my thought is under the earth, you have caverns. You've got the whole thing that we've already discussed of people who are damned, uh, demons that are locked up in gloomy dungeons abraham's bosom now empty now with heaven because of christ and his finished work um then primary water being one layer under that i'm thinking molten lava core fire and and so my thought is like that god opens this first layer of water with the first flood that destroys and recreates the earth destroys in a real sense life is is wiped out but 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 also recreates it doesn't annihilate or disintegrate it's the same planet the same rock at the end he's going to do it with fire and so now i'm going to cross-reference here with thessalonians okay i'm almost done and i'll turn to you but thessalonians says that uh when he returns we'll be caught up in the air yeah now now if you pair that with like uh the parable of the ten virgins um that you know that five are wise and five are foolish the five that are wise they have enough oil in their lamps to keep them lit uh, so that when the bridegroom finally does come in the middle of the, the night they can see him and they go out to meet him so that he can take them somewhere else no mm-hmm. they they've been waiting for him to come to that town the one that they're already in not not they're not waiting for him to come to take them to another town they're waiting to greet him but but then it's like well then why are they going out to meet him well they're going out to meet him as an act of honor not because they're going out to meet him so he can take them somewhere else they're going to meet him and then now be turn around and be his accompanying party to Mm. to usher him into the town where they already were and so i believe that you know that at the end there's not a secret rapture i'm not a dispensationalist praise god but Mm. at the end you know that we will be caught first those who are dead in christ then those of us who are alive caught up into the air um and and not for for christ to take us somewhere else but for us to go and meet him and each other in the air and then be his welcoming committee um to to usher him back down to this earth now during that time that we're in the air i think that one thing that will occur is just like the flood they were spared on the ark that, that we would actually be up in the air with Christ and with one another watching now, not the, the layer of water under the core open, but the deeper layer of, of fire open and consume Christ's enemies and then being swallowed up in the earth like we see uh, in the days of Moses in the wilderness um, and, and being swallowed up in the earth. And that we're up here and that the fire now is is also reforming. So you, you think of like, and all this in a time lapse, perhaps, you know, like sped up, but like there, water brings life, but there are tropical islands that only exist because of volcanic ac- yeah. activity. Yeah. Um, that, that fire actually reshapes, it, it does, it destroys initially, but it could actually give birth to greater vegetation, greater um, life, great, greater, um, you know, all, all these things. And so I'm wondering if, what if we're in the air 
And, and now instead of like in the days of Noah, opening up the first layer, the great springs of the deep, the water under the earth, now it's even deeper than the water. We've already tapped into that in our post-millennial discovery of the world and sustaining our population of a trillion people strong, you know, and, and now it's the deeper layer of, of fire and that's opening up and consuming the av- adversaries of God, the earth, swallowing them up, remaking the earth. And now we're bringing, we're welcoming Jesus not to go to the 17th dimension uh, with him, but to usher him down to the kingdom that's being delivered to him this planet remade that i don't know that's my theory what do you think no, that, <laughs> so here so my the first thing that i thought of was i should have put a tin how uh <laughs> <laughs> loyal to the foil <laughs> the first thing that i thought of when you were saying that was sodom and gomorrah um because sodom and gomorrah is sort of like a in, in my mind a typological precursor to the judgment of fire that is to come and you have uh, a really clear typological parallels between the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the story of Noah and the flood. You have this one guy who's chosen. He's saved via something else. He's not saved of himself. Just like Noah was saved by the ark, Lot is saved because of the righteousness of Abraham that God remembered. That's Genesis 19. And, and so you're kind of seeing on a small scale what God's plan is for everything else. And that is to, to judge the clear and obvious wickedness and rejection of him that's happened in the land. But what does the destruction of the Jordan Valley in that narrative bring about? Well, eventually it brings about the, the people of God coming into that land and taking it over for the good that it is. And so it actually does bring some degree of new and better life. So I don't hate that. And then you also have Lot and he did this imperfectly, of course, but Lot being called out, but he's being called out to be with Abraham, the, the, the righteous covenant person that he was uh, saved because God remembered, you know, he was called up into the mountains. That's where Abraham was. He was supposed to go up to Abraham. He rejected that. He went over into the caves and then very bad stuff happened. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, but it, it, (laughs) you know, that's the first connection that jumped out at me. And I think that there's legs to it, but there's, I think that there's a clear theme in scripture of a judgment of water and then a judgment of fire and you have both. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me to find that rhyme scheme played out on the scale of the entire world and its final reformation and recreation uh, right. on the last day. I mean, that's what happened in AD 70 on a, on a, on a, uh, on a citywide scale in Jerusalem. Right. You had a judgment you, of fire. You agree with me though, in terms of fire, um, that it's, it's going, whatever that destruction is going to be, that it's not just the the whole world disintegrating, destroyed no, no. in that sense. No, right? no, I, I don't think the world is annihilated. I think that this is the, I think that this is the one we got. <laughs> yep. Um, and the I new think heavens that, on this yes. earth made new, not another right. earth, new earth, but uh, this earth made new, new earth. Much like how the new covenant is substantially the same as the old covenant. It's just <laughs> renovated. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. Um, we'll, we'll say that for another time. Uh, yeah. But but Van Druden, one more thing with, with the Westminster Escondido guys is they would say in this vein of what we're talking about right now, they would say, you know, that... Um, you know, the scripture that says that all creation is groaning with eager um, expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Yeah. Uh, Van Druden says that um, that what creation, because we would read that and say creation, why, does, why is creation eager? 
it's well, first, why is it groaning? Because, um, because Adam was federal head over all his posterity, his wife and all uh, future generations of humankind. But, but God doesn't uh, just curse um, man. He, he cursed, yes. you know, or, or the woman, he cursed the, the ground. Yes. Uh, the ground is cursed because of you. So Adam was actually federal head of all earthly creation. Um, that, yeah. that animals are groaning because of Adam. Trees are groaning because of Adam. Mountains are groaning because of Adam. Um, and so, so creation is groaning for the new sons of God the, um, to be revealed, uh, so that so that the first son of God, as as Genesis, I think it's chapter five, when it gives the the um, the the lineage, the um, yep. Uh, what is the word that I'm, I'm looking the, for? The genealogy. Uh, the genealogy. It yeah. says, you know, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, yeah. and then goes all the way to Adam. It's either Genesis, it might be 11 or it might be uh, five, but- um, No, it, it's uh, Genesis then, five. Yeah, and then it says, Adam, the son of God, you yeah. know, and, and so the, the first son of God, in a sense, not, not the true son of God, G- Jesus, but Adam put creation under a curse. Uh, Jesus- set it right and all of it you know he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse you know is is found and so um the the curse is being reversed now um yes. the, the deeper magic right is uh, yes. uh turning back the clock you know the and it's, blessing and it's actually, is not an annihilator the blessing right. is a revitalizer right exactly and so and so now the, the the curse is being reversed progressively throughout uh real human history and time things are getting better um that we actually even in america we actually uh, we literally have more force today than you know so everyone's like oh we, yeah. you know stop chopping down trees we have more force today than when um when america was first founded there are more trees that with more people it's it's better for creation because we're yep. gardeners. That's what God has, has made us to be. Sure, you can be corrupt and some people do bad things, but in general, it's a positive force. And so all these things being made new. Um, but my point is that Van Druden and those guys would say that uh, creation is groaning. Um, so under the curse of Adam with eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed because um, at that time, the earth will be destroyed in the sense of disintegration, annihilation, and uh, what creation is groaning for is a mercy killing. It's yeah. groaning for God to mercifully take it mm. out behind the old woodshed and put it out. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just, I think that's a horrendous reading. Yeah. Of, of I, I think that has to be so eisegeted to assume that uh, it's eager ex- creation has eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed, and it's it's really happy and excited that this is going to happen because then it will get shot by God in the face yeah. and die. That's I, just, I just one of the that's one of the dumbest things. You have to force things. that onto the scripture. That's just stupid. That's unintelligent, is what that yeah. is. It, so uh, creation wants the sons of God to be revealed and renewed because in our salvation. It is creation salvation as well um yeah. that we're tethered together that as we're redeemed creation is being redeemed as well this creation not that it's going to be put down and replaced right. um not that we're you know this dog's old so we're going to take it out back you know we'll get you a new puppy uh, no we're going to make this dog new same yes. dog um but yeah. but brought brought back to health and so because um, we're part yeah. of creation we are right. part of it we were made during the days of creation were the, were the, were the crowning achievement of creation, so to speak. And so first Corinthians 15, when a person dies, they're buried in shame, but they're risen in glory. The same is yeah. true of the rest of creation. We, we don't look for a new, a, a annihilated and completely brand spanking new ex nihilo earth because we don't look for a completely brand spanking new ex nihilo man. We look for right. a glorified man. 
and we're looking for a glorified creation too. That that is just con- that's just basic reading of of what the word says. To think otherwise, you get into all these crazy problems, and and it frankly it, it gets really close to Gnosticism too. It does. Um, a li- yeah, far too close for my comfort. But even just beyond that, it's not a compelling thing. No one wants that. No one actually wants that. When you look around yourself, you think, I want this to be made perfect. Mm. I don't want something that I don't know. I want something that I know. And God made us to live here on this earth, not somewhere else. Otherwise, he would have made us somewhere else. God's Again, he's not capricious and he doesn't change his mind. What he did, he meant to do. And so just like in Leviticus 18, you have the, the sins of the people of Canaan, the child sacrifice, the sexual depravity, and the land, it says the land spit them out. Well, in the same way, now that Christ has accomplished his mediatorial work on the earth, you have creation. It's like, uh, it's like when you're really hungry, but you don't realize it. And then someone gives you a bite of like a cookie and, and, but just one bite. And you're like, Oh man, now I, now I'm starving. Like now I realize how hungry I am. Mm -hmm. Well, creation drank the blood of Christ. The, the sand, the dirt that we walk on drank the blood of its king and maker. And now it, it wants the rest of it done. It wants the rest of the victory worked out completely. So you, of course, you have it groaning for the revealing of the sons of God, mm-hmm. just like us as part of creation are groaning for the revealing right. of Christ himself and his return. Amen. Well, I, I said earlier that I would get to Atlantis. So I'll just say it real quick, just to circle back to that. Yeah. The primary water thing. I, I just, I, I think you and Brian are 100% spot on Sahara desert, Atlantis. I, so I don't think Atlantis is under the earth. That was not my point. I think that in restoring the earth, that primary water will be part of that, you know, that it's progressively that, uh, so, so Isaiah, I believe it's 65 that talks about like the youth shall die at a hundred. So this dispensationalism, that dog won't hunt with, with Isaiah 65. Um, it's, this is not Christ has returned, um, and but people are still dying yeah because people christ, don't die when christ comes. that's back. right when christ returns <laughs> he lays death in its grave the and and death is not the first of his enemies to defeat but the last of his enemies to defeat and the kingdom yep. is is handed to him um and so and so all that being said uh, this is a later stage i believe isaiah 65 um it says uh that that um that no longer um will will uh the child die in infancy and the youth shall die at 100 um and so you know right now even like if somebody dies at at, uh 50 we say man he was so young yeah right but not that long ago if somebody died at 50 people people weren't saying he was so young they would say yeah he lived a full life so in the same way that we would say somebody who dies at 100 he was just a kid he was just a youth that that's that's in this dispensation for lack of a better word in this gospel age before the final physical return of christ um and so so lifespans, diseases being conquered, um, certainly uh, some godless ideologies, Marxism and communism and, you know, all these different things, um, better stewardship, better this, better, and and in that also discoveries to sustain a greater population because of people living longer and they're obeying Jesus and being fruitful, multiplying, um, you know, there's more people, so more water, that's where primary water comes in. And my point is, I, I think that when it's all said and done, I don't think there'll be any deserts. Not, well, not like and that. so. So when Jesus comes back, I don't think it'll be Jesus comes back and, and gets rid of the deserts. I think Jesus, when he comes back, it'll be glorified, so even greater. But I think um, before he returns, um, that, that us, redeemed man, 
living out um, uh, the cultural mandate and the Great Commission, both, the Great Commission doesn't replace the cultural mandate, but comes right. alongside it. Yep. By doing both, um, and the Great Commission succeeding, um, and, and the, uh, the cultural mandate, as the Great Commission succeeds, the cultural mandate isn't something that we spurn and, and, and despise, but something we embrace. And um, I think, you know, and, and throw a little, sprinkle a little primary water in, into the equation, you know, and uh, then, yeah, there's no more Sahara Desert and Atlantis is brought back to her former glory, but without, without the demons. Without the demons. Man, that would be great. I hope, so, that anyways. I hope that's true. I, I like that. And then, so let, let me just, let me make sure I understand. So redeemed man does this amazing work of, of, of cultivating the earth um, and, and bringing about, you know, the fullest glory that we're capable of on the earth as redeemed, not glorified. And then at Christ's final return, we're taken away and there's this final judgment of fire on the earth and mm -hmm. it's fully renovated and renewed, glorified. Right. It's glorified. raised in glory. Mm -hmm. So that's good. So, you know, you, you get the post-millennial hope. Uh, but you avoid, you know, an, an over-realized, like a hyper-realized eschatology because you're, you're not denying the final judgment at all. I like that. Right. And thanks. Uh, I mean, primary water makes sense because primary water is, is, I don't mean this in the scriptural sense. I mean this in the scientific way. It's living water. It, it is, uh, it's structured water. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the health problems that we have today are because we're lacking structured living water and, uh, and, primary water gives us that fresh spring water gives us that. So I, right. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, one of these days I would love if haunted cosmos ever gets to the point where you and Brian do an episode on primary water. Maybe we will now. Yeah. Right. That would be, a I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, do you have, um, I'll, I'll let you have the final word. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to add to this? Or if not, let us at least know how, how uh, people can follow you. Yeah, no, I, I have appreciated the heck out of this conversation. This, this has too. been awesome. Uh, I've been really blessed by it and have a lot to chew on. Primary water is really going to be a, it's an a area fun of study one. It's for really me for cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. But, you know, I have other stuff to think about. No, not anymore. I can only think about this. <laughs> <laughs> you can, uh, um, no, thanks for having me on, Joel. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Pombadil, just like Tom Bombadil, but replace bomb with pawn p-a-w-n it's a really dumb handle uh, if you can't <laughs> find it i won't be offended or you can follow us at haunted cosmos underscore uh, that's mostly brian and i tweeting from there and uh, it's pretty much half and half so it's kind of fun to have people guess who they think tweeted what but you can find me at haunted cosmos on twitter at tom pomadil on twitter uh, you can also find us on instagram awesome how, how was uh last thing how was the new christendom uh, conference that you guys just did Oh man, it was amazing. We had uh, a really big time. The Lord was really kind in, in allowing us to put on what I, what I think was a, a, a great time for people. I think people were blessed. I certainly was. And we pray the Lord was glorified and his people were helped, but it was awesome. We're looking forward to the next one. Cool. Are you going to try to make it annual once a year? Uh, I don't know. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say, I don't want to speculate. We're having a debriefing okay. meeting tomorrow where we'll, we'll probably decide something like that, but cool. We definitely want to do it again. I think it's very safe to say we're going to do it again. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Joel. Y'all have a great night.
All right, hold up. You're not going to want to miss this. I'm going to tell you exactly how our spring 2024 conference is going to go down. Here's the title of the conference, Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. Subtitle, Seven Doctrines for Ruling the World. We're going to have seven primary sessions covering each of these doctrines for ruling the world righteously. Number one, Reformed Confessionalism. That's going to be Pastor Doug Wilson preaching on that topic. Then we've got Covenant Theology with Pastor Brian then we've got biblical patriarchy with Pastor Michael Foster. Then we've got presuppositionalism with Dr. Joseph Boot. Then we've got um, Kyperianism, all of Christ for all of life, where we're going to welcome Pastor Doug Wilson back for a second session. Then we've got general equity theonomy. We're going to have Dr. Joseph Boot come and do a second session on that topic. And then lastly, we'll have Pastor Dale Partridge on post-millennial eschatology. In addition to these seven sessions, we're we're also going to have not one, but two live podcasts. On the first day of the conference, that's Friday, March 1st, we're going to have a live Theology Applied podcast. I'll be on the stage hosting the discussion with Douglas Wilson, Michael Foster, and Eric Kahn from It's Good to Be a Man. The topic is going to be all about biblical patriarchy. We're going to specifically be parsing out, distinguishing the biblical doctrinal differences between patriarchy and complementarianism. Again, Again, that's Friday, March 1st, the first day of the conference, a live Theology Applied podcast on biblical patriarchy. Then we're going to have the next day, that's Saturday, March 2nd, a live Haunted Cosmos podcast. I'll be hosting this discussion with Brian Sauvet and Ben Garrett. We're going to be talking about the Nephilim. We're going to be talking about the Watchers. We're going to be talking about what creatures currently are living underneath the surface of the earth and chasms of the deep. It's going to be wacky. It's going to be weird, but it will also be thoroughly biblical and incredibly unhinged. So you're not going to want to miss these two live podcasts, Theology Applied on Friday, March 1st, the first day of the conference on biblical patriarchy with Doug Wilson, Michael Foster, Eric Kahn, and myself. And then the next day of the conference, Saturday, March 2nd, a live Haunted Cosmos podcast with Brian Sauvet and Ben Garrett and myself on the Nephilim, the Watchers, and what lies under uh, the surface of the earth. And then the conference will hold over for one final, the third and final day. That's going to be the Lord's Day, Sunday, March 3rd, where one of our speakers will be holding over to preach the Lord's Day sermon, and I'll be leading us in worship through the liturgy. So we've got three days, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 2024, Blueprints for Christendom 2.0, Seven Doctrines for Ruling the World. You're not going to want to miss this conference. Our early bird rate is still available but only for a very short period of time. We are ending the early bird rate on August 31st at 11.59 p.m. That will be the final chance to get into this conference at an affordable, cheap rate. All right, so go and take advantage of the early bird rate right now by going to rightresponseconference.com. Again, that's rightresponseconference.com to register for Blueprints for Christendom 2.0, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 2024. Register today.